We're looking this morning at um, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at um, verse 24, uh, end of verse 24, and Mark chapter 5, miracle of Jesus, uh, as a two-part miracle, um, both include uh, miracles on females, both have the symbolism of 12 with them, but I'm only going to touch on one of those miracles, which is the healing of the woman with internal bleeding. Touching the hem of his robe. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, we pray. You take these words and this incident in the ministry of Jesus. And may we too also reach out and touch the hem of your cloak this morning and feel the power of your life coming into ours. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now this is, um, just, just to put you into context here, um, the word in the Greek used for healed here is different to most other places in the New Testament where healed is used. So the word here that's used in Greek is the word sozo, meaning both salvation and healing at the same time. Just keep that in mind as we go through. Um, both Jesus and the woman use the word sozo when, when referring to being healed. The first thing that happens in this story is that she hears about Jesus the first thing that happens. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus. I don't know how many of you came to the Lord because of somebody's testimony or how important a testimony was when you heard about Jesus from somebody else, how important that was in your final decision. But I don't think we can really ever underestimate the power of testimony. The power of just talking about Jesus, the power of sharing with others who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Clearly this woman has heard about Jesus. She's heard about the raisings of the dead. She's heard about the miraculous healing. She's heard about the teachings. She's heard all of these things about him. And on hearing this, she's drawn to him. She wants to find out more. She wants to come and see for herself. She sought him out. 
Why does she sort him out? Because somebody was talking about Jesus. Somebody was testifying about him. I, when I first became a Christian, um, I, I heard I was at a, I was at a, a Bible camp um, for teenagers, and um, somebody gave me um, a book, and it was just simply called Vanya. I don't know if anybody's come across the book Vanya. It's the book of a young Soviet soldier and his testimony as he suffered in the Soviet army for his faith. Have you anybody heard of the book Vanya? You have, yeah. And it was told me when I was a young person, and I, I remember sitting there being absolutely spellbound by this account of this young Russian soldier and his bravery and his testimony about Christ. <laughs> and I remember thinking, if, if Vanya can do that, then I can at least share my faith, or at least don't have to worry about sharing my faith, but just be willing to talk about Jesus because it was such an amazing story. I'm going to read you just a touch of it. This is the story of Vanya. Ivan Vanya, 1952 to 1972. Known as his friend simply as Vanya. A brave soldier in the Soviet army, braver still in his witness to Jesus Christ. He was tortured for his faith and died as a Christian martyr in 1972 at the age of only 20. What fueled his faith and courage in witnessing for Christ? His parents raised him with his six brothers and one sister in a Christian home. They were from Moldavia, which was part of the Soviet Union at the time, and they belonged to an underground Christian church because religion was outlawed by the communist government. When Vanya completed school in 1968 at the age of 16, he decided personally to commit his life to Jesus Christ and to read the Bible daily. He joined an evangelical Christian church, was baptized in 1970. After his baptism, he had an intense desire to tell others about the good news of Jesus, the gift of new life and forgiveness of sins, which he won on the cross. He preached the gospel with great enthusiasm and joy, both in his local church and to many young people in the town where he worked as a delivery driver. In November 1970, he was drafted into the Soviet army to perform two years of required military training and service. When Vanya began to speak openly of God in the army, his military supervisors began a systematic campaign of intimidation and torture to silence him. In one of his letters to his parents, Vanya wrote, Even though I am a soldier, I work for the Lord. Though there are difficulties and testings, Jesus Christ gave the order to proclaim his word in this city in any meeting in a military unit to officers and to soldiers. I've been in a division headquarters and in a special section and though it wasn't easy, the Lord works so that it turned out well there. I had an opportunity to proclaim his word to the most senior personnel, but I was reviled and thrown out of the meeting. On one occasion, the sergeant in his barracks challenged him to prove that God exists. The test was that God would miraculously arrange a military home leave for a certain sergeant. Leaves were hard to get. After asking God if he should accept the challenge, Vanya agreed. All night he sat up with the sergeant explaining the things that he would need to know when he became a Christian. The next day, an authority from another town called and ordered the leave. The sergeant became a Christian, and so did other men. But shortly after this incident, Vanya wrote again to his parents about his determination to speak about Christ to his commanders and fellow soldiers. 
They have forbidden me to preach Jesus, and I'm going through tortures and testings. But I told them I will not stop bearing the news of Christ. And the Lord shamed them before the entire unit when they were torturing me. A soldier stood up and had miraculously gone on leave and had told everyone and asked, Whose power was this? The authorities did not wish to let me go, but they were put to shame. On his last leave, Vanya made a recording of the ordeals and cruelties used against him in the army. At times he was starved when his officers forbade him to eat for many days. He was awakened and interrogated night after night. He was often struck. Once, after a discussion about God, Vanya was made to stand in the street throughout the whole night wearing his summer uniform. The temperature at that time was 13 degrees below zero. He obeyed the order and stood in the street the whole night, remaining faithful to God. Miraculously, his eyesight was still functioning and he could, set his, he could see his officers and he could move his body despite the cold. All throughout the ordeal, Vanya prayed for his persecutors. For the next 12 nights, Ivan Vanya continued to stand in the street outside the barracks. Miraculously, he did not freeze, nor did he beg for mercy, but he continued to speak of his faith to his comrades and officers. Other miracles also confirmed his testimony. Once he was run over by a truck. He was told his life could only be saved by the amputation of his arm and part of a collapsed lung. Delirious with fever, he earnestly prayed aloud. The next morning, he was completely healed. Soldiers around him were converted, impressed by his ardent faith. His commanders continued to interrogate him, trying to get him to deny Jesus. They put him in refrigerated cells, clothed him in special rubber suits, pumped out the air so his chest was so compressed he could hardly breathe. And in his interrogation, Vanya testified, I have one higher alliance, and that is the Jesus Christ. He has given me orders, and these I cannot obey. At the age of 20, Ivan Vanya knew that the communists would kill him. On July the 11th, 1972, he wrote to his parents, you will not see me anymore. He then described how in a vision of angels and of heaven, God had sent them to strengthen him for the last trial. A few days later, a coffin arrived at his parents' home, welded shut. Vanya's mother insisted it be opened. One of his brothers who belonged to the Communist Party resisted, but the rest of the family prevailed. Vanya was barely recognisable. Witnesses, Christians and non-Christians alike, signed a statement which declared that he had been burned, his face and body covered with bruises and marks, his heart punctured in six places. In his last letter, dated July the 15th, 1972, Ivan Vanya wrote, I desire that all of you, dear friends, young and old, remember this one verse, Revelation 2.10, be faithful even unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Receive this, the last letter on this earth, from the least of your brethren. And I thought, if I share my faith with my friends, the worst that's going to happen is that I'm just not going to get text for a couple of weeks. I mean, that's being brave, isn't it? That's somebody whose whole life was wholly given to Christ. He died only at the age of 20. A heroic witness of Jesus.
This woman came because she had heard about Jesus. She had heard and she wanted to touch the hem of his robe. And as Paul says in Romans 10, 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one that they have not heard? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone telling them? How can, they, how can anyone tell them unless they are sent, as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Don't ever estimate, don't ever underestimate the power of testimony, of just sharing with people who Jesus is. One of the things that comes across in the book, we don't really see it in that little account, was that God had guided Tavania through all of those times there were accounts of a glow in his cell, and he talked about angelic presence, angels being present with him, telling him that the trials would come to an end soon, and of course the visitation of heaven before he was taken up into glory. Faith begets faith. We're not called to change people's minds. We are simply called to tell the truth about Jesus. The first thing that she did was that she heard. And the second thing that we did was that she touched. She reached out and she touched the hem of his robe. She wanted to share in what he had. She wanted to share in it. And that's an interesting concept, isn't it? Sharing, because I don't think we're terribly good at sharing. I think there's an instinctive behavior in us that doesn't always want to share. I remember the account of a, of a, a mum cooking pancakes on Shrove Tuesday, chocolate pancakes. And got, she's got two sons with her, um, David and Brian. And they're both waiting for the first pancake. And they get into a bit of a squabble. And she says to one of them, she says, she said, will you stop squabbling and be, just be patient? In fact, actually, if Jesus was here, he would make sure that his brother had the first pancake. Mm. To which one turned to the other one and said, Brian, you be Jesus. And I do remember once when I was a kid, my mum giving us an enormous, we got, we got this enormous um, Easter egg. Julie and my older, my older sister, Julie and I, we got this enormous Easter egg. And she gave us this Easter egg. It was just, wow, it was an absolutely enormous thing. And um, I was really excited. And she said, your cousins, Rob, your cousins are coming over um, this afternoon. And, um, and I thought, yeah, yeah. And she said, um, and I just thought, well, because it's such a big Easter egg, you've got lots of sweets inside, um, you could share it with them. Excuse me, you know, and I was in I was in a sort of a, a place of devastation with the thought of having to share what I had because instinctively we don't want to share when we've got really good things going on and we've got things that we love. We don't want to sort of share it with others, but Jesus wants to share everything He is and all that He has, and she. She wants some of it too. And the interesting thing about this story is that she kind of steals it. It's a sneaky healing, isn't it? She kind of does it on the sneak. She thinks, 
I'm defiled under Jewish law. He's not going to want to touch me or come anywhere near me. So what I'll do is I'll just creep up behind him and I'll see if I can just get down on the ground and just touch the hem of his clobe. Without him realizing it, I'll just sneak a healing. And actually, she does. She actually does sneak a healing. And the only problem is that the crowd parts, and at the end, Jesus is going, somebody touched me. <laughs> and she has to come forward. But she knew that if she would only touch him, she could share in what he had. She knew according to Levitical law that she was defiled, Leviticus 15. She believed that she could touch him and share in who he was. If I can touch his purity, then I can share in his purity. He is the antithesis of all of her problems. If I can touch him, I can draw on his freedom. I can draw on his purity. I can draw on his health. And I can become like he is if I can only connect with him. If I could only just somehow connect with Jesus, who was never going to touch me because I couldn't touch a rabbi. I was going to have this moment where not only was I going to touch the hem of his robe, but it was a touch. And I was defiled. And I hadn't been touched for years because nobody touches me. I'm not even allowed by Levitical law to be in my marriage bed for 12 years and I can touch him and he will be furious and the disciples would be furious and she trembles with fear when he says, who touched me? But I need to touch him. I need to be so desperate and reach out and touch the hem of his robe because where he is, there is healing. Where he is, there is freedom. If only I can find the connection to him, I will find freedom. For Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 17, now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is freedom. There is freedom. She touches the hem of his robe. In Mark, it just says the robe. She touches his clothes. And when she does, immediately power comes out of Jesus and into her. But that's not the end of the story. She thought it would be. <laughs> She thought, if only I could just get there and just go, touch it, and then run off. That'll be it. I'll be done. I'll be healed. I'll have got the power, and I'll be off running with the power, and nobody would know any different. And Jesus would be going around going, who touched me? Who touched me? Which he would never know, but that was not the end of the story, and that's really important why it's not the end of the story, because it must be confessed, and it must be testified. All healing must be testified. So firstly, she hears him. And secondly, she touches him. And thirdly, she confesses to him. Verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. 
It's so important we testify to what God has done in our lives. It's important we testify to healing, important we testify to restoration, to the filling of his spirit, to all the things that he does. Often Jesus invites people to testify to their feelings, to their healing, sorry. And it's interesting that this word isn't just healing, it's also sozo, it means salvation for her. This is a testifying, not just of her physical healing, but of the healing of her soul, of the restoration of her soul. She is saved as well as healed. The confession, this powerful confession, is the sealing, if you like, of this healing. It's the sealing of what God has done over us and for us. And it's really important we do that so that Satan doesn't try and wrestle it away from us. Satan doesn't try to rob us of what God has done. It's really important that we are willing to testify of what Jesus has done in our lives. Otherwise, we might lose the benefit of it. Revelation says, we overcame him Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, and by what? The word of our testimony. The word of our testimony. There is power in confession. I don't know whether you've ever confessed to anybody. You can confess to me, I'm an Anglican priest, and apparently, according to the bishop, I can absolve you somehow. <laughs> um, although you can, of course, just go straight to the Lord himself. <laughs> Let's point this out. <laughs> um, but you know, it's quite interesting because I did on one occasion, I've never, don't, don't get me wrong, I've never confessed to a priest. Um, but I did on one occasion confess to a friend because I'd, I'd prayed a prayer for a family member and I felt, hmm, that wasn't right. You know, I think it was a bit of a soulish prayer. And I thought, that didn't feel right. And I was quite bothered about it. And I felt spiritually a little bit bothered about it. So I went to see my friend, Roger, who was a Christian, quite a mature Christian, who I really valued. And I kind of knew he would be sensible about stuff. And he knew stuff from the Bible. And I went round to see him. And I had a cup of coffee in his kitchen. And we sat down on the kitchen table. And I said, do you mind, do you mind if I just confess something to you? And he said, what? <laughs> what are you going to say? <laughs> I said, I just, I, just, I, just had this, I just prayed for a family member and I wasn't sure it was the right kind of prayer. And I just felt strange spiritually. I just want to tell you what, was, what I pray and I just want to tell you what happened. Are you happy to do that? And he said, yeah, all right. Yeah. So we just you know, carried on having a cup of coffee. And I told him, what had happened, and I confessed to him, and I felt physically something lift off me. I can't explain it. It was as if something physically, literally lifted off me at that moment, just came off me. It was a powerful moment in my life, and I realized when James says in 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed, 
that he's talking about a spiritual reality there. That when we confess, something happens spiritually. Something happens with us and something happens with them. And one of the powerful things that she does at the end of this moment with Jesus, I think one of the most important moments in this story is not the sneaky type of way of getting the healing and it's not the power coming out of Christ because that happens all the time. It's this confession that she makes to the crowd that she is healed of him and touched of him and changed by him. She did three things. She heard, she was touched, and she confessed with her mouth. It's very interesting when we do that. We've got all kinds of things coming up, like Dougie Doug Doug coming up. Why have we got Dougie Doug Doug? Well, because we need a crowd puller. We need to get them in. And Doug's got the bubbles. We can't argue with that. He's got massive bubbles. You can stand in the bubbles. That's how big the bubbles are. He's going to be a crowd puller. I'm coming. <laughs> because we need someone to pull them in. But we need to pray that when they're there, somehow they get to touch the hem of his robe. And something in them changes. And then we can draw them in. Because Jesus drew her in, didn't he? It wasn't just that she was touched. She was drawn in. And that's really important with all outreach. And so we've got the messy church events and other events following that where we can draw people in who have been touched by Christ. And you know, it's really important when people come to Christ that they make a confession. Either they can do that at baptism or they can do it as a statement of faith. But it's really important that whenever we have a major stage in Christ or a touch of Christ or a touch of God and if you feel God has touched you or you've gone into some kind of experience of God or a moment of God or a trial that you've come through or whatever it is it's powerful to testify to that it's important we do because it's through our confession of him that people's lives are transformed it was something that Vanya knew. And before he had died, a number of Soviet soldiers and officers had given their lives to Christ. What a wonderful testimony. How on earth would you imagine somebody could bring salvation and the gospel into the Soviet army during the height of the Cold War? But he did through his bravery and his determination to testify about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story, this incident in the life of your son, of a woman who was brave enough, determined enough, and in some ways sneaky enough to try and touch the hem of his robe so that she could be healed. And then to testify that story. And that story has been testified again and again and again through the centuries. Of the power of Christ to transform our lives. Amen.